welcome back to the Females in Motorsport podcast. Today I have someone very special with me who I've had the opportunity to meet in person at the Portland E-Pre, Julia from Formula E, who is the sustainability director of an electric-driven series like Formula E. So as you can imagine, she's going to be able to share a lot of informative nuggets with us today on the podcast. Thank you so much, Julia, for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Menvi. It's great to be to be part of the podcast. Yeah, I am so excited to have you here. I had such a great time meeting you in Portland. I think we just got along so quickly and you are so smart. The first thing that I after I left, I went to meet someone else from a different team. I said, oh my God, Julia's brain is really interesting. Like she, she knows what she's talking about. She's so smart. So I'm really happy that we were able to make this happen because I think today listeners will take a lot from you. Uh, that's that's the point. I mean, really trying to share and, and support each other as women in, in a very male-dominated industry is a big fight for me in my job, but also as a personal passion. Yeah, absolutely. So I did notice that in Formula E, I actually did have the pleasure of meeting a few women and who work in Formula E, and of course, one of them were you. So I want to first ask you how you got into working in Formula E, especially in the sustainability side. And also a little bit about how it's how the transition has been for you, especially knowing that it is still a male-dominated industry. Okay, so I mean, it's it's two big and important questions. The let's say the first part, which is uh, I mean, how I got into Formula E. So I'm basically a pure motorsport product. Uh, I've done my entire career in motorsports uh, with this let's say weird uh, niche industry expertise doing sustainability in motorsport. So I'm a sustainability expert by training. I come from a business uh, environment and I've studied sustainability in this remit. And then my first role and first job opportunity was in Michelin Motorsports, looking at the the tires for the racing divisions. And then from Michelin, because Michelin was the first uh, partner of Formula E when uh, Formula E got started in 2014, I got recruited, stolen in some ways, uh, by uh, uh, by Formula E to go um, to go and basically do the same, uh, develop their strategy, and uh, start really embedding uh, sustainability at the heart of the championship. And what I found interesting when I started working in motorsport is that I realized that first of all, the sustainability was just a topic that was completely unknown and and really uncharted waters uh, for this industry, even less when it was basically led by a young female. So if you're like me and you like challenge, you see a huge opportunity. Probably most of the rational people would say, no, it's just not for me too complicated, but I saw a huge avenue for myself. And I'm so glad that I decided to continue because I see more and more females having strategic roles in motorsport in general, but also a lot of females really championing sustainability in motorsport, which is great. Yeah, I love that. I I completely agree with you. I think there has been obviously a huge explosion of fandom in general in motorsport, but I think that's also transitioning to more women getting exposure to the sport and thinking, oh, maybe this is a career option for me. And I think Formula E is a really great uh, option, I would say, for people who are interested in working in motorsport and still want to feel... um, almost like a challenge of working in a new series. I think when you compare 
Formula E to let's say a lot of people draw comparisons with Formula One. And Formula One obviously would be a great place to work, I'm sure, but it is something that's been going on for so many years. And Formula One is very um they they don't really like change in my opinion. And I think Formula E is a lot more open, especially the way that you guys have embraced marketing, I think is really great. I saw so many content creators, for example, at the Portland Deep Free. And I think that is a very unique thing to motorsport that I don't think other series are doing as well as you guys. I think, I mean, we are clearly benefiting from the fact that the sport is very young. All in all, we, we are less than 10 years old and we were born really out of the really the imagination of, of people that were also very young in their minds, in their lives, and really trying to build a completely new product, a disruptive product, but in the positive sense, a product that is here to appeal to the next generation. So if you look obviously at the age range of Formula E employees, we're a bunch of, you know, between 20, 30 years old plus kind of people. Obviously, the top management, as usual, is slightly older, but that makes sense because they bring a different type of expertise. But uh, I mean, just in uh, I mean, the, the director's role, I have several colleagues that are younger or my age. I mean, and we're talking about people that are in their 30s. So I find this fascinating. And that's how I think we bring that uh, almost like freshness level in the way we approach things and um, the latest, you know, ways to engage with young people and so on. And also a way to engage with females because one of the, I mean, true amazing aspects of the sport is that formerly really appeals a lot to uh, female audiences. And one of the reasons is that we have a social purpose and that social purpose resonates a lot with female audiences. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I think at the race itself, I saw a lot of women um, saw all women in the paddock itself, but also saw a lot of female fans in the grandstands, which was really great to see. Um, I don't know what the official split of the fandom is, but it looked pretty 50-50 to me. Um, so that's really impressive. And I agree. I think that sustainability is something that mostly younger audiences are or resonate with generally. And I think Formula 2 is doing a really great job in ensuring that they're actually reaching that young audience. And that's exactly why I was intrigued by Formula E because I actually got introduced to Formula E through F1 Tony, who I think was at the Mexico City Grand Prix, and she did a video about tires. And I was like, this is cool. I've not even heard of Formula E before this. But I think that just goes to show the power of a content creator marketing, creator economy, but also that it really does appeal to someone who is more um, looking for the sustainability mission and things like that. Because I know F1 has sustainability um, goals now, which is great, but they're very different to Formula E goals. Um, and I think one example is that Formula One is still trying to become net zero by 2030. You guys are already net zero. Correct. Yes. I think it's, uh, I mean, that, that's really the, the essence that you pointed out. The difference for us is that we were born with this purpose. We were born really electric and we were born to use our championship as a platform to advance sustainable mobility. And then everything in essence was built around that. So we're appealing obviously to a younger audience that is worried and, you know, conscious about climate change and all the issues from the environmental perspective, but also the social perspective, because we do also a lot of work in the different communities and race locations on, you know, the impact uh, and the empowerment of uh, children through the partnership that we have with UNICEF. We do a lot of work and efforts with, you know, university students. We have this wonderful Girls on Track program 
that is here to try and empower and inspire females to come and basically join motorsports, um, I mean, work and, and, and professions, just so that they understand that there's a lot of career opportunities. Because if I take that back to, to my own path, I never thought I could work in motorsport. It's not that my parents, no one in my family was working in motorsport. I've always loved cars. I was doing a little bit of karting when I was young, but I was not competing. It was just not something that I could even really project myself having a career in. And then completely by chance, because I was looking for an industrial environment to work in, I got into the tire perspective, but in the motorsport uh, division. And then I realized that it was actually a thing. So I think it's very important for young girls that are really interested, or maybe that will discover that they are interested, to see that motorsport is a fascinating environment to work in and that you have such a wide, wide range of careers that you can that you can have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've noticed that as a host of this podcast as well. When I first started um, doing outreach for the podcast in March, I think, yeah, we launched in April, so I started reaching out to people around, I think, February or March. And initially, I was a little bit worried. I was like, I want to launch an episode every week. Will that be hard? Will I be able to, you know, find enough women to be able to join me to find time? And um, you know, in different careers, because there is this mental block that you think that women are only in like the marketing teams or the communications yeah. teams. And obviously, that is great. I, I, I work in marketing and communications, so I I love it. But yeah, that that is that uh, mindset, and I was a little bit concerned about it. But now I've been hosting the podcast for a few months, and I've had the pleasure of meeting so many women across so many different industries, whether that's tech, whether it's sustainability whether it's drivers, there's so many people in, in, yeah. in the world. And of course, there's still a big gap. But I think it's nice to see that there, is, there are more women joining the industry every single day. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, again, something that is common within motorsports for, we, for women is that you need to be, I think, very stubborn, very driven about what you want to do. But one thing that the industry is very good at is that it recognizes knowledge and expertise whoever you are so if you're good at what you do whether you're a female or a man they will recognize that then it's probably slightly more difficult as a female to have the let's say the confidence to basically show up and showcase your expertise when the room is basically full of let's say middle-aged men and that's a, a bit sometimes you know daunting yeah. But in return, because this industry is really about performance and meritocratic in some ways, because motorsport is about the best is the one winning, um, they have this trait, which I find actually quite uh, quite inclusive in, in some ways. Uh, not perfect, but in some ways yeah. it, it, it allows for some sort of inclusivity. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really good. And it's really encouraging to hear as well. Um, so speaking of Formula E specifically, now I know that obviously you guys are already net zero, which is honestly a massive accomplishment. So my question is, what what's next for Formula E? Are you guys... Uh, well, I mean, uh, we are continually basically looking at our carbon emissions. And one of the things that we're uh, continually working on is the CO2 re- reductions uh, of the championship. So... Obviously, as much as we are net zero, um, there's always this effort to continually decrease anyways the CO2 emissions. We are aligned to the science-based target, which is a global uh, best practice initiative, very demanding. In a sense, you need to reduce your CO2 emissions by 50% by 2030. Mm -hmm. 
But the good thing is that we're on track and it's the, it's really a way for us to engage our teams or partners or ecosystem in this uh, journey because roughly 70 75% of the carbon footprint of the championship is about the freight that we basically transport around yeah. the world for the championship and uh, and we are more than on track so it's the, it's one of the things that we're working hard on and then on the other side um, i mean something to expect is um, really the development of all the social progress related uh, programs that we have. So Girls on Track is one, uh, but we're working on more. Um, one that is really going to focus on uh, education for children because mm-hmm. children really are at the center of, uh, I mean, if you think about climate change, if you're worried about people and the planet, children are not only the agents of change, they are also those that are really under the threat of those impacts yeah. that they will be facing. So uh, we want to do much more around children. And then all the engagement with, I mean, underrepresented minorities, whether it's from a racial perspective, disability, and so on and so forth, is also something that we're working hard on um, to make sure that we are able to deliver some meaningful programs and initiative in each race location. Yeah, I like that you mentioned that there's so many different uh, teams and partners and everybody involved because motorsport has so many stakeholders. There's so many different people involved and um it's interesting because i think that formula e obviously has a very strong mission and um it's it's definitely done so much for the sport itself and for the series and i think i don't think it would be possible if you guys didn't have such amazing partners which is great because i could i could even tell when i was at the race that even with small things like like catering and things like that i can see that you guys are using recyclables or like sustainable products and Things like that. I think it really comes down to little details to make sure that you're actually promoting sustainable lifestyle, even for people who are there. I was lucky enough to be in the media center. And I think those things really make a difference. It kind of ingrains in you that, oh yeah, this is like, yes, we're all here to watch racing, but let's not forget the sustainability is a, is a core part of it. Has it been easy for you guys or hard for you guys to be able to find like-minded partners and like-minded teams? Well, I'm, I honestly can say that it was easy because uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, teams, uh, car manufacturing companies and really sponsors and partners of the championship were attracted to us because of the fact that we share the same values around sustainability, that we have common sustainability goals. So it's really what we call purpose-driven partnerships or purposeful partnerships in the sense that these companies come to us because they want to be associated to a sustainable leader, someone that really takes sustainability authentically, that has sustainability as a culture, which for me, culture goes beyond strategy. It's really something that basically like it's the blood that goes through our veins. And and it's it's how together we elevate those messages, but with a lot of legitimacy and credibility. And obviously you're a content creator, you know far better than me that it's all about authenticity mm-hmm. and credibility, because that's the only thing that again, that Gen Z will understand and that they will click on and that they will really feel compelled about because it needs to to be true. That's so true. That is very true. That I think people can always sniff when it's not real and when it's exactly. just um, like greenwashing. And I think Formula E definitely does not have that problem because it's definitely like in your, um, it's in your DNA. I think the biggest manifestation of it is when you're sitting and watching a race, I think you can even forget that, you know, even in a race environment, you forget all about it. You hear the car and it yeah, reminds yeah. you. 
you know it's a very distinct noise it's very different from a formula 1 car or any other car for example so i think every aspect of formula e just like re- really reminds you of the sustainability aspect of it and i think the teams also really go far and beyond to um be a part of it which is really great no and i think it's it's fantastic because obviously nowadays what really matters what is inspiring for most of the people it's really the teams and the athletes so in in our case the drivers so the fact that they really carry proudly the values of the championship they're able to be talking about it and as i said to them most of the time you don't have to be perfect because literally no one is perfect but you just have to be sincere and authentic about what you do and what you say so if you want to do something about i don't know biodiversity make sure that it's really authentic and you're not going to cut up be caught up like a couple of months after on an initiative that is completely going the other way around yeah. or something like that so um and i think that's that's really something that's again going back to the fact that family brings an ecosystem of younger people that are probably more connected to those issues and these values makes that i mean everyone is really switched on and has bought in really this vision and this mission of the championship Yes, absolutely. And you're right. I think so many people resonate with athletes and their mission and their values. And I have to say like I try to be very unbiased, but sometimes it makes a difference. It really does make you think about it and it does make you sometimes like athletes or teams more because their mission or their values are aligned with your personal values. Oh, it always, you know, comes back around. If it's not authentic or sincere, you'll know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and then it's then it's like it's a waste of time, waste of money. Like yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, it's detrimental to the brand. So let's say mm-hmm. to the the wider family brand and to their brand primarily. So yeah. I mean, I always say better not to say anything than to make a move that is just gonna feel wrong afterwards or like be found out not to be authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you don't actually feel, you definitely should not say or do because exactly. You know, some other day you might. forget that you even did this or said this and then yeah yeah exactly. it, can, it can become a circus very quickly no i mean yeah. th- there's a lot of controversies around athletes uh, you know flying in yes. private jets and so on and uh, i mean that's something that i've always you know said to to my teams and uh, and drivers that don't start really talking about uh, these things if there's one of you that is actually doing it that's yeah. i mean that's really bad i mean fortunately uh, none of our teams and drivers are flying private jets but yeah. you know it, it's something that in other series is happening and you know yes. um, it's it if you want to be talking about sustainability and then you fly private jets there's been a lot of controversies in other series with other racing drivers that have been caught up on that so you have to be holistic in in what you say and what you do Oh yes, one hundred percent. I remember this very clearly because I think it was it was a few years ago. But obviously, I think if you look at Formula One, the most obvious two drivers who talk for sustainability are Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. Um, and I know Lewis Hamilton used to have like a very you know very vibrant private jet. And then I think a few years ago, I can't remember how far ago, far how long ago this was, but I remember somebody asked him about it. Like I remember, I think this is when he went plant based. and someone asked him about it like oh what other things are you doing and he said oh i sold my private jet i think that was like big news but i don't think people knew until then and it really did make you think like okay there's this like very successful athlete who obviously leads a very um you know king size life and he's making actual changes which is great because 
yeah, private jet is definitely not something that I would consider sustainable at all. And I think even like other celebrities in general have gotten into a lot of trouble because of it. And I look, I, I my take on it is that okay, you know, you live your life, I've no one to tell you what to do. But you have to own the fact that yes, it is terrible for the environment. And if you're fine with that, then you know, okay, like you do you. But it is a fact that you just you can't buy it. And I think again, it's it's more a question like about being uh, being thorough in what you do and what you say. Because if if you basically position yourself as a sustainability ambassador, you just mm-hmm. need to be holistic and and you know like going back to common sense. I mean, if you're a sustainability ambassador you're not exactly wanting to fly private jet because it's yeah. probably the most, uh, the most, uh, I mean, emitful ways in terms of CO2 emissions. Yeah. Not saying that you're not being, you know, intellectually really switched on in terms of the topic of sustainability, but then practice what you preach is something yeah. that applies to everyone, especially if you're a public figure. So that's, uh, that's in essence, for me, the lesson, uh, practice what you preach literally is, is uh, how it should be played. Yeah, 100%. So I know that you have worked at both Formula E and Extreme E. Now, Extreme E is something I'm a little bit less familiar with because obviously I've not been to any of the races, although I would love to go to an Extreme E race. So I kind of want to understand a little bit more about Extreme E from your experience and also how you think Formula E and Extreme E are different in terms of their mission and values and the execution of it all. Okay, so basically, Formula E and Extreme are sister organizations because uh, we have the same founder, um, Alejandro Agag, who is the founder of Formula E, is also the founder of Extreme E. He's currently the chairman of Formula E and is uh, now the CEO of Extreme E. But obviously, there's a very, very strong uh, synergy and similar cultural approach in between the two organizations. And he used really the same approach also regarding the mission of the championship, Extreme E is an all-electric SUV championship that is here to offer a very concrete solution to climate change through the segment of SUVs, because SUVs in the everyday life are the most impactful type of vehicles. Mm. They're also the most profitable in terms of the OEMs, the car manufacturers, and they are the most demanded range uh, in terms of the um, consumers. So actually, that's the, that's what people want to purchase, and that's an increasing growth. So there was a lot of basically attention and issues around SUVs. And so he used, again, the platform of the races to showcase, uh, I mean, the technological development and improvements of electric SUVs, but also to showcase the specific race locations where the races are taking place. Because, um, I mean, not only the race in, in remote and beautiful corners of, of uh, I mean, our planet, but they highlight a climatic uh, issue. So one is going to be about sea rise level, one is going to be about desertification, one is going to be about, uh, I mean, mountains and uh, biodiversity at risk or mountain and basically snow melting and so on and so forth. So you have all these, uh, I mean, key climatic issues that are uh, being highlighted, which I think makes it very rich and interesting in terms of the storytelling beyond the race or around the race. And then really using the sport to elevate uh, that uh, that scientific issue because one of the peculiarities also of extreme which is uh, really fascinating is that because they race in those natural environment they are supported by a consortium of scientific some of the best uh, experts in the world um, mm-hmm. that are basically helping them and advising them 
as to what are the, I mean, you know, the risks in that specific location, but also some of the solutions that can be implemented. Because as usual, informally and extremely, it's all about bringing solutions. We want to send a positive message. It's not about being doom and gloom. It's really about showcasing that there's a problem, but that there's also a solution and that this solution, this solution goes through a technological, basically, uh, improvement. I'm so fascinated by Extremely. I absolutely love it. I think it's so, again, like you said, there's so many different things that come into play, like obviously the electric SUV part, which I actually didn't know that SUVs are the most purchased cars. I had no idea. But even though that doesn't make sense, but you don't even think about it until, you know, um, you hear it. And yeah, I think the whole concept of Extremely is so interesting to me because I think the remote locations also kind of remind you that not like fans can't really go there and watch races which again like cuts the emissions and it's a really good way to actually remind everybody that even when fans are traveling i mean i'm a fan obviously i'm traveling to races and you know you have to take flights or whatever you have to take so you can't really like skip it but when you do skip it 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 does make a difference and i think extremely also does it very well they're not it's not alarmist marketing it's not like oh planet is doomed like you know okay we're all screwed now it's more like okay let's call attention to it let's work with like you know different experts around the world and see what we can do and let's race while we can i think that's really smart yeah exactly did you get to go to some extreme races when you were working? yeah actually i'm i'm just uh, back a few weeks ago i was in sardinia for the for the island Ypres, uh, which was uh, fascinating i mean the cars are monsters they they are huge they look amazing and uh, it's a super competitive championship which again mm. uh, also is fascinating because it's a 50 50 uh, female and male drivers uh, championship which i think is also brilliant in the sense that mm. you see really now uh, females being probably as good, if not better, as the men's uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, their driving capabilities and so on. So you can uh, you can see really all the controversies around females not being as performant as uh, yeah. males in a racing car is is just nonsense. It's it's totally nonsense. I agree. I love that Extremely is a has a split driver participation. Yeah, you're right. It's absolute like it's absolute bullshit that people say that women and men can't race together. And I think that people don't understand that it's not about physical strength. It's not about capabilities. It's about, it's a very systemic reason. Women get lesser time on track. They have less, fewer sponsors. They have less money. So it's not about the gender. It's about like you take one athlete, you take lesser time. And yeah, exactly. It's just, it's not an equal level playing field. So you can't really compare and say like men and women. No, definitely. We've we've done that. Uh, unfortunately, we've done that study, and uh, the basically the the numbers are really shocking. So if you look at motorsports in terms of being, if you focus on the racing drivers, but I'm sure it's more or less equivalent in the rest of the of the roles. If you want to be an engineer, a mechanic, and so on. So if you look at it as a pyramid, from you know like different levels of karting, different level of formulas and then going to the peak series. Basically, uh, I mean, at the basis of the pyramid, you have 100 young individuals. Out of the 100, there's going to be 90% that are male and 10% that are female. Mm. So basically, because this is a very, I mean, um, rationally driven industry and also commercially driven, statistically at the top, you only have 10 left out of the 100 at the start. So statistically, there's zero female left because statistically, Mm. 
you basically fish in the 80% uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that were at the start. So yeah. that's how basically in a very rational way, females are just like benefiting from a bit less changes and opportunities in comparison to men because they get, uh, I mean, the, the less, let's say, performing cars, they don't get the best engineers, they don't get the best mechanics, they don't get, yeah. uh, I mean, all the setups that are really adapted to them. If you, I mean, I'm sure you've interviewed many, many female drivers, but I know, I mean, there's one that I know very well and that I work quite a lot with, which is Simona de Silvestro. Mm. How many times Silvestro, uh, Simona has told me that, I mean, sometimes she was driving cars that she was just about touching the pedals. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you want to perform like that? It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. I think it was last year when, they were the first ever race suits designed for a woman's body. Race suits weren't even designed. Like, how is... But it's everything you... like that. It's, uh, yeah, the, exactly. the race overall, uh, I mean, the, the internal fitting of the cars, which is mm-hmm. obviously not made the same. No. We have hips. They don't. Yeah. They are taller. They have the yeah. strengths on the top. We have the strengths uh, in the legs. It's just everything is should be designed in a different way. Yeah. But as Absolutely. usual, it's an industry designed for men, by men. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where it comes into for senior leadership. And we need to see more women in leadership because that's when the thought process will start. I'm hoping that, not think, I'm hoping that other series, you know, start welcoming women a little bit more freely and openly. Um, Because if I were to guess, I would think that Formula E probably has the highest concentration of women um, employees. I I think so. So definitely within Formula E, just the championship, we are roughly at the average probably 45 percent women and 55 percent men so that's an excellent score to be honest including women in leadership roles we've got our chief media officer that is a female and then we've got several directors and basically going going down also a lot of uh, uh, females in in very important and strategic roles but uh, i mean i would say again the rest of the paddock is also a reflection of that I don't know. I mean, it's not stats that we have because it really belongs to the mm-hmm. teams and, and to the partners. But there's a lot of female having strategic roles in the teams. Yet we're still missing a female team principal and a female driver. Mm-hmm. And until we get there, um, the perception will be that the sport is still not yet equal. And yes. for that first female in the driving seat and uh, literally and then in the driving seat of managing a team, it will be obviously a hard, uh, a hard beginning because uh, they will be the only ones in the paddock having that role. Um, so we really need to push to make sure it's happening, and also it's happening, you know, like not as a one-off, but really something that becomes the norm. Agreed, agreed. I think when when Susie Wolf was there, it was definitely a conversation, but people were also focusing on like, oh, she's the only like woman leader, and like this is how the team is performing under a woman. And, that's not the conversation we need to be having. It's more about like you know, she is also a person, so let's just hope her skills and capabilities not on her gender. Exactly. And it's great to see her in F one Academy. I'm happy that she's there. Um, it's, I would say that selfishly because I think F one is there's so many men in F one. In fact, when F one F one Academy was announced, Susie Wolf was announced a few months after that, and I was very surprised that the spokesperson for F1 Academy until Susie was announced was still men. 
I was like, that's really interesting that they have chosen not to introduce any women in the announcement. So when a few months later, Susie Wolfers announced, I was very happy. Okay, yeah, thank you. Sure. Like at least some woman is like touching the the academy, which is great. And yeah, I think in Formula E, there's so many women. I actually had Arte, the chief media officer, on the podcast. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, she's so great. We just we got along instantly because we from the same hometown. So what a small world! It was it was really great. Of course, I think with you also and so many other women in Formula E, it's 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 really been something that I have really enjoyed seeing. I think when I went to see when I went to Portland, I did not expect it to be what it was. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, again, probably this is also a testament of the fact that Formula is a very welcoming environment altogether. Yes. Uh, we always talk a lot about the inclusivity value that we have in the championship. And that is, uh, I mean, a way of showcasing that. The fact that, I mean, we are very accessible uh, professionals and, and, and that's on purpose. We want to make sure that the sport is accessible. That's by design that we've put the the podium in the fan village each time uh, for, at the end of the race because we want the fans to be crowning their champion at the end of the at the yeah. end of the race and that's really the whole basically price points of the tickets to to come and enjoy our events being very cheap is again something that is strategically important to us because it's not about you know uh, I mean being an elitist elitistic sport it's really about you know bringing on families and the next generation and making sure that everyone plays a part in this uh, i mean in this sort of like festival type of uh, celebration and um, so i think that that's how you get basically uh, people like females people coming from uh, different uh, you know uh, ethnicities people coming from uh, um, potentially, you know, like uh, having different sexual orientation and so on to come and, and be present in this environment and feel that they are, you know, uh, at ease uh, in this specific environment. We, we we normally say that for us, difference is is performance and difference is, is basically a way to to being in a way richer uh, in terms of, you know, the the what I mean by rich being um, more complex and, and basically have a holistic perspective on everything that we do. Yeah, the podium in the fan zone, that was so incredible to see. And I agree, I think with fan engagement, it helps so much for people to be so close to the athletes. I had a friend who was um, at the Formula E race and she was in a grandstand. So she came and I was in the media center, but she was able to come very close to the paddock yeah. and the media center, which is awesome. I couldn't even imagine that in any other series. So that was really, really great. Yeah. Um, so now we are here at my favorite part, podcast which is the rapid fire which um yeah so i'm gonna ask you three quick questions and you're just supposed to tell me whatever the first thing is that comes into your mind okay perfect let's go all right so question number one okay what is the one sustainability term you wish didn't exist one that just doesn't make any sense um carbon positive Mm. And why? So carbon positive is, uh, I mean, I think in general, all the terms around net zero, carbon neutral, carbon positive, and so on is very confusing for most of the people. And I feel sorry for that because it's true that there is a very complex jargon in sustainability uh, altogether. It's quite technical, but carbon positive is just basically something that is impossible. So when you uh, hear or read about carbon positive, uh, I mean, you know, aspirations, I would say probably most of the time it's bullshit. So yes. uh, yeah, just be wary about that because and the, the reason why carbon positive is when you 
basically are able to generate um, renewable electricity that, uh, I mean, produces more than your total footprint. Sorry, it's, it's still a bit technical, but I'm just trying to explain it in the in the most sensible way possible. So basically, I mean, you need to be um, in a very specific setup that is probably you're a building. So only buildings could probably, probably I'm saying, uh, in a meaningful way, achieve a, a carbon positive status. The rest, uh, I mean, an events company, uh, it's just impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it, it has no real meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a fancy word that uh, one day people uh, people start using without really knowing, like as if I was starting to say, well, let's talk about whatever, uh, I mean, uh, uh, front portrait kits. And I'm not exactly knowing what I what I say, but it, it sounds cool. So then people are going to start <laughs> like, you know, talking about like front portrait and like, regeneration yeah. and, and no yeah. one will really know what it means. Yeah, absolutely. That that's so common sustainability. Um, all right. Second question is: Do you have a favorite sustainable brand that you love? I love uh, Patagonia. I think that they are so okay. inspirational. Um, I've had the chance to to meet the founder uh, when I was a student. He that's came amazing. to do yeah. He came to do a conference at uh, at my business school, and he was so fascinating. Such a visionary someone that is really doing it for the right values and reasons. And I think that they've really been able to establish themselves as, you know, like the, the top brand that when you work in sustainability, you should aspire to to be, or at least look as uh, the, the best in class example. So, uh, I mean, we, we often say internally as a joke that we, we want to be the Patagonia of motorsport. And, and that's something that really will look at a great example. Oh, I love that. absolutely love Patagonia. I think that's such a good example because I actually can't think of any other brand that has done sustainability so perfectly because they're very honest and authentic about, yes, we sell jackets, we sell outerwear, we sell products, but don't buy them if you don't need to. Like, just don't buy it, you know. Or come come back and we repair them for you and they will be durable, they will last for years and years. Yeah, and they really do last for years. I have one jacket I bought it when I first moved to New York, so that was nine years ago, and it's I still have it. Oh, yeah, that's it. it. It's top quality, and and I think it's interesting to see. I think what fascinates me beyond obviously the success of the brand and and their approach is that it shows that from an economic perspective, sustainability from a financial perspective is mm. a real thing in terms of the mm. business model. So. It's obviously high quality product that come with a price, obviously. I mean, it's not that the jackets are cheap, not at all. They are actually expensive, but they last so long. They're such good quality. You know that you can repair them and it's going to be easy and accessible, that it's worth it. And so the consumer gets it, is going to buy the product, and then the company is going to make profit because the company is here to make profit. But it's a real basically positive circle because it, it creates both positive environmental and social impacts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that example. And the last question I have for you is, because you travel a lot, what is the number one travel essential you swear by? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Uh, Well, so probably I would say uh, I always travel with what I call a safety bag, where I have basically 48 hours worth of you know, uh, I mean, uh, outfits to survive because it, it happens very often that my luggage gets lost. 
and uh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to tell you like a fun, a fun story. So okay. uh, it was the, it was actually at the start of, um, at the start of season nine, we were um, in Valencia uh, for the for the test. Mm-hmm. And we were just, sorry, at the start of season eight, uh, one year before. At the start of season eight, we were at, in Valencia for the pre-season test. And uh, I mean, it's a short flight. I live, in, I live in France, so it's a short flight from France. So I do a small luggage. I put it basically in the plane and I'm not worried about it. I arrive, no luggage. The problem is on that same night, we do a reveal of the first you know, model of what the car uh-huh. that will be introduced a year after is going to look like. And I needed to cover the sustainability uh, narrative mm. on the work that we've done in terms of sustainability for the car. I was dressed in basically a t-shirt, jeans, and white trainers. And I was like, this is not possible because we present in front of the entire ecosystem. Yeah. I cannot be presenting yeah. like that in front of them. I have nothing. So I've been basically running in 30 minutes in the biggest mall of Valencia to try and basically find, you know, a dress, a pair of shoes, some toiletries and yeah. so on. So since then, my lesson is I basically oh take 48 hours worth of the survival with me everywhere, whether it's a long haul, a short haul, just in case, because it happens to me and I've been paying the price. Did you happen? Did you did you make it? Was it all good? Yeah, yeah. So I made it, but uh, I mean, super stressful. I, I want a picture of this outfit now. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 honestly, apparently, I mean, the people, because obviously I said that to my colleagues and the people were like, honestly, I mean, we could not tell because you have a lovely dress and, and no one yeah. could even imagine that you've basically been shopping that in 30 minutes, half running to get ready. That's insane. That is scary. And that's true because I know you do a lot of presentations and obviously, you're, you know, you're part of the leadership. You have the I I know how it is. That's hilarious. That's so yes. funny. I would I would I have so much travel anxiety. I would start stressing out. Yeah, I'm not stressed anymore to be honest. It's just like I prefer to plan in case I have yeah. this sort of safety yeah. bag that has everything ready, and then I use it if I need it. I don't blame you. I think I would do the same thing. I have a lot of travel anxiety before I travel, so I like I start packing. I'm going for Italy today, and I started packing a week before. Because I first I get really excited, but I also yeah. start when I create lists just to have the I, headspace. Yeah, and I, you know on notes you have like a check mark. So I yeah, have yeah, yeah. Oh, lists yes. and then. Well, I mean, if there's one thing in life that I'm a, that I'm a fan of, it's lists. I think yeah. this is basically. I mean, this is my church. I do lists in my personal life, in my professional life, yeah. for everything. This is what gets yeah. me going. And it's so satisfying to like make a check mark or cross it off when it's Absolutely. done. It's like wow, like I feel so accomplished now. You've already yeah, done exactly. it, but like until you cross it off, the accomplishment doesn't settle in. A great reward. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, all right. Thank you so much, Julia, for joining me today. It has been so Thanks fun for having, having me. you on and learning it was a all pleasure. about yeah, and learning all about sustainability in Formula E, your background, even extremely you shared so Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure and uh, I mean, happy holidays now.